Section 4 of Tiger by the Tail by Paul William Anderson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Paul Harvey. The dice rattled down onto the table and came to a halt. Prince Tork swore good-naturedly and shoved the pile of coins toward Flandry. I just can't win, he laughed. You have the gods with you, human. For a slave, I'm not doing so badly, thought Flandry. In fact, I'm getting rich. Fortunes favor the weak, Highness, he smiled. The strong don't need luck. To Thudigar with titles, said the young warrior. He was drunk. Wine flushed his open face and spread in puddles on the table before him. We're two good friends by now, Dominic, ever since you got my affairs in order. I have a head for figures, and of course terrestrial education helps, Torek, but you need money. There'll be enough for all when we hold the empire. I'll have a whole system to rule, you know. Flandry pretended surprise. Only a system? After all, a son of King Penda? Cedric's doing, Torek scowled blackly. The dirty Abigar persuaded father that only one, himself of course, should succeed to the throne. He said no kingdom ever lasted when the sons divided power equally. It seems very unfair. And how does he know he's the best? He's the oldest. That's what counts. And he's conceited enough to be sure of it. Torek gulped another beakerful. The empire has a better arrangement. Succession is by ability alone, among many in a whole group of families. Well, the old ways, what can I do? That's hardly warrior's talk, Torek. Admitting defeat so soon, I thought better of you. But what to do? There are ways. Surtic's power, like that of all chiefs, rests on his many supporters and his own household troops. He isn't well-liked. It wouldn't be hard to get many of his friends to give allegiance elsewhere. But treachery, would you make a brother slayer of me? Who said anything about killing? Just dislodging, let us say. He could always have a system or two to rule, just as he meant to give you. But look, I don't know anything about your sneaking terrestrial ways. I suppose you mean to dish disaffect his allies, promise them more than he gives. What's the word? Bribery. I don't know a thing about it, Dominic. I couldn't do it. You wouldn't have to do it, murmured Flandry. I could help. What's a man for, if not to help his friends? Earl Morgar, who held the conquered Xanthudian planets and fief, was a noble of power and influence beyond a station, he was also notoriously greedy. He said to Captain Flandry, Terrestrial, your suggestions about farming out tax-gathering have more than doubled my income. But now the natives are rising in revolt against me, murdering my troops wherever they get a chance and burning their farms rather than pay the levies. What do they do about it in the Empire? Surely, sir, you could crush the rebels with little effort, said Flandry. Oh, aye, but dead men don't pay tribute either. Isn't there a better way, 
My whole domain is falling into chaos. Several ways, sir. Flandry sketched a few of them. Puppet native committees. Propaganda, shifting the blame onto some scapegoat. And the rest of it. He did not add that these methods work only when skillfully administered. It is well, rumbled the earl at last. His hard gaze searched Flandry's impassively smiling face. You've made yourself useful to many a Scythanian leader since coming here, haven't you? There's that matter of Nardioff. He's a great man now because he captured that imperial arsenal. And there are others. But it seems much of this gain is at the expense of other Scythani rather than of the Empire. I still wonder about Nornagast's death. History shows that the prospect of great gain always stirs up internal strife, sir, said Flandry. It behooves the strong warrior to seize a dominant share of power for himself and so reunite his people against their common enemy. Thus did the early terrestrial emperors end the civil wars and become the rulers of the then accessible universe. Um, yes, gain power, wealth, I, some good warrior. Since we are alone, sir, said Flandry, perhaps I may remark that Scotha itself has seen many changes of dynasty. Yes, of course, I took an oath to the king. But suppose, just suppose, the best interests of Scothania were served by a newer and stronger family. They were into details of the matter within an hour. Flandry suggested that Prince Cortan would be a valuable ally, but beware of Torek, who had ambitions of his own. There was a great feast given at the winter solstice. The town and the palace blazed with light and shouted with music and drunken laughter. Warriors and nobles swirled their finest robes about them and boasted of the ruin they would wreak in the empire. It was to be noted that the number of alcoholic quarrels leading to bloodshed was unusually high this year, especially among the upper classes. There were enough dark corners, though. Flandry stood in one, a niche leading to a great open window, and looked over the glittering town lights to the huge white hills that lay silent beyond under the hurtling moons. Above were the stars, bright with the frosty twinkle of winter. They seemed so near that one could reach a hand up and pluck them from the sky. A cold breeze wandered in from outside. Flandry wrapped his cloak more tightly about him. A light footfall sounded on the floor. He looked about and saw Gunley, the queen. Her tall, young form was vague in the shadow, but a shaft of moonlight lit her face with an unearthly radiance. She might have been a lovely girl of Terra, save for the little horns and, well, these people aren't really human. They look human, but no people of Terra were ever so simple-minded. Then with an inward grin, but you don't expect a talent for intrigue in women. Terrestrial or Scothan, so the females of this particular species are quite human enough for anyone's taste. The cynical mirth faded into an indefinable sadness. He 
Damn it, he liked Gunley. They had laughed together often in the last few months, and she was honest and warm-hearted, and, well, no matter, no matter. Why are you here all alone, Dominic? she asked. Her voice was very quiet, and her eyes seemed huge in the cold, pale moonlight. It would hardly be prudent for me to join the party, he answered wryly. I'd cause too many fights. Half of them out there hate my insides. And the other half can't do without you, she smiled. Well, I was glad not to be there myself. These Frithians are savages. At home, she looked out the window, and there were suddenly tears glittering in her eyes. Don't weep, Gunley, said Flandry softly. Not tonight. This is the night the sun turns, remember? There is always new hope in a new year. I can't forget the old years, she said with the bitterness that shocked him. Understanding came, he asked quietly. There was someone else, wasn't there? Aye, a young knight, but he was of low degree. So they married me off to Penda, who was old and chill. And Jomana was killed in one of Surtic's raids. She turned her head to look at him, and a pathetic attempt at a smile quivered on her lips. It isn't Jomana, Dominic. He was very dear to me, but even the deepest wounds heal with time. But I think of all the other young men and their sweethearts. It's what the men want themselves, but not what the women want. Not to wait and wait and wait till the ships come back, never knowing whether there will only be his shield aboard. Not to rock her baby in her arms and know that in a few years he will be a stiffened corpse on the shores of some unknown planet. Not, well, she straightened her slim shoulders. Little I can do about it. You are a very brave and lovely woman, Gunley, said Flandry. Your kind has changed history ere this. And he sang softly a verse he had made in the Scothen bardic form. So I see you standing, sorrowful in darkness, but the moonlight's broken by your eyes' tear shining. Moonlight in the maiden's magic net of tresses. Gods gave many gifts, but, Gunley, yours was greatest. Suddenly she was in his arms. Svavish of Sithafar was angry. He paced up and down the secret chamber, his tail lashing about his bowed legs, his fanged jaws snapping on the accent Scothian words that poured out. Like a crayx they treat me, he hissed. I, king of a planet and an intelligent species, must bow before the dirty barbarian Penda. Our ships have the worst positions in the fighting line and the last chance at loot. The swaggering Scythani or Sithafar treat my people as if they were conquered peasants, not warrior allies. It is not to be endured. Flandry remained respectfully silent. He had carefully nursed the reptile king's smoldering resentment along, ever since the bean had come to Ithagar for conference. But he wanted Safash to think it was all his own idea. By the dark god, if I had a chance, I think I'd go over to the Terran side, exploded Safash. You say they treat their subjects decently? 
I, we've learned it doesn't pay to be prejudiced about race, your majesty. In fact, many non-humans hold terrestrial citizenship, and of course a vassal of the empire remains free within his own domain, except in certain matters of trade and military force where we must have uniformity. And he has the immeasurable power and wealth of the empire behind and with him. My nobles would follow gladly enough, said Svafish. They'd sooner loot Scothian than terrestrial planets, if they didn't fear Penda's revenge. Many other of Scotha's allies feel likewise, your majesty, and still more would join an uprising just for the sake of the readily available plunder. If only they were sure the revolt would succeed. It is a matter of getting them all together and agreeing. And you have contacts everywhere, terrestrial. You're like a spinner weaving its web. Of course, if you're caught, I shall certainly insist I never had anything to do with you. Of course, your majesty. But if it works, ha! The lidless black eyes glittered, and a forked tongue flickered out between the horny lips. Ha! The sack of Skoda. No, your majesty. It is necessary that Skoda be spared. There will be enough wealth to be had on her province planets. Why? The question was cold, emotionless. Because you see, your majesty, we will have Skothan allies who will cooperate only on that condition. Some of the power-seeking nobles, and then there is a southern nationalist movement which wishes separation from the Frithian north. And I may say that it has the secret leadership of the queen herself. Flandry's eyes were as chill as his voice. It will do you no good to kill me, Duke Asgar. I have left all the evidence with a reliable person, who, if I do not return alive, or if I am killed later, will take it directly to the king and the people. The Scothan's hands clenched white about the arms of his chair. Impotent rage shivered in his voice. You devil, you crawling worm. Name-calling is rather silly coming from one of your history, said Flandry. A parasite, a betrayer of comrades, a breaker of oaths, a mocker of the gods. I have all the evidence, Duke Asdegar. Some of it is on paper. Some is nothing but the names of scattered witnesses and accomplices each of whom knows a little of your career. And a man without honor on Skoda is better dead. In fact, he soon will be. But how did you learn? Hopelessness was coming into the Duke's tone. He was beginning to tremble a little. I have my ways. For instance, I learned quite a bit by cultivating the acquaintance of your slaves and servants. You high-born forget that the lower classes have eyes and ears, and that they talk among themselves. Well, the words were almost strangled. What do you want? Help for certain others. You have powerful forces at your disposal. Spring winds blew softly through the garden and stirred the trees to rustling. There was a deep smell of green life about them. A bird was singing somewhere in the twilight, and the ancient promise of summer stirred in the blood. Flandry tried to relax in the fragrant evening, but he was too tense. 
His nerves were drawn into quivering wires, and he had grown thin and hollow-eyed. So, too, had Gunley, but it seemed only to heighten her loveliness. It had more than a hint of the utterly alien and remote now. Well, the spaceship is off, said the man. His voice was weary. Athager shouldn't have any trouble getting to Ifri. And he's a clever lad. He'll find a way to deliver my letter to Admiral Walton. He scowled, and a nervous tick began over his left eye. But the timing is so desperately close. If our forces strike too soon or too late, it can be ruinous. I don't worry about that, Dominic, said Gunley. You know how to arrange these things. I've never handled an empire before, my beautiful. The next several days will be touch and go, and that's why I want you to leave Scotha now. Take a ship and some trusty guards, and go to Allegan, or Gimli, or some other out-of-the-way planet. He smiled with one corner of his mouth. It would be a bitter victory if you died in it, Gunley. Her voice was haunted. I should die. I betrayed my lord. I am dishonored. You've saved your people, your own southerners, and ultimately all Skoda. But the broken oaths. She began to weep, quietly and hopelessly. An oath is only a means to an end. Don't let the means override the end. An oath is an oath. But, Dominic, it was a choice of standing by Penda or by you. He comforted her as well as he could, and he reflected grimly that he had never before felt himself so thoroughly a skunk. End of section 4. Recording by Paul Harvey.